0: You're listening to a Sovereign Hope Church podcast with pastor and teaching elder Adam Vinson. Last week, this week, and and maybe for the next couple of weeks, we're taking our cue from the Apostle Paul as he wrapped up his teaching to the church at Rome. He began to lay out his plans, his his future endeavors in regards to church planting, Um, and he begins to communicate that to the church at Rome and how they fit into this global plan that he has. Um, as he's ministering to churches that he's already planted, as he has future focus of of moving into areas where Christ has not yet been named, he begins to communicate these plans and, and this vision for his ministry and his future. And so taking a cue from the Apostle Paul, we're, we're stepping back before we jump into another book. So normally we're we're expository preaching each week through a book of the Bible. But before we jump into another book, we're taking some time to kind of step back and uh, look at our vision as a church and make sure that we're communicating that vision to you as church members here at Sovereign Hope. And so for those that are visiting this morning, this is a great opportunity for you to, uh, as you're seeking a church family to be a part of, to really decide, is this where I want to be? Um, do you fit in with where we believe God's leading us as a church family? I wanted to uh, pass out uh, a, a sheet that's got front and back stuff on it. Um, this is from our foundational documents, can I get Will to pass these out, Adam? These are our values at Sovereign Hope and our vision at Sovereign Hope. Again, this is part of our um, what most churches would call uh, bylaws. We call them our our how we function documents. I um, mean, this is a portion of that overall larger document, and, and and this is stuff that we put in in place and we put on paper. In the beginning stages of this church plant, as we began to pray and and formulate a vision for what God wanted to do in our lives, so there was a collection of us that really felt like God was moving us in the direction of church planting, we began to meet. So Tyson, Adam, and I specifically began to meet, and then God brought Ben into our lives, and he began to meet with us, and we began to uh, formulate a plan that we believe was based on the book of Acts, based on the New Testament, and what the church early Uh, in its existence was doing, we began to formulate what does that plan look like here in our area, in our context. And so we began to uh, formulate a plan that we put on paper. We came up with 10 core values that we wanted to uh, continually emphasize here at Sovereign Hope. We wanted these things to define us as a church family, things that we could continually go back to. And and those things include the gospel, uh, discipleship, theology, and doctrine. And so Obviously, we want to be rooted in God's plan to save man through Christ, from his sin, for his glory forever, the gospel. We want to teach others the gospel. We want to teach them the depths of scripture, and so we want to emphasize theology and doctrine. Ultimately, uh, we want that theology and doctrine and knowledge of who God is to lead us into lifestyle-type worship, not just worship that's confined to a, a room on a Sunday morning where we define it as singing songs, but a a life that's completely devoted to Christ and his purposes. Number five, we wanted to be a church that was on mission. Now we're walking through this because I want you to understand, because I think last week for some of you may have felt like, whoa, where did this come from? And and, and that's not what I want it to feel like. I want you to be reminded that this has always been the intent of Sovereign Hope. This has always been the plan of Sovereign Hope. why are we just now kind of coming back to it? Because For the first several years of our church plant, we focused on getting everything in order, specifically getting elders ordained. Because here's the facts. As daunting of a task, and we're going to look at the five goals again this this week, but as daunting of a task as those goals are, they're certainly impossible with only one person serving as an elder of the church. And so uh, the focus has always been to raise up elders so that this could be a joint effort Multiple men leading our church, shepherding our church, equipping the saints to do the work of the ministry. And now that God has raised up Adam and Tyson, it's time to get moving with the rest of everything that God's laid before us here at Sovereign Hope. The idea of mission there, we want to expand the kingdom of Christ by teaching people to live on mission for that kingdom, by spreading the good news of Jesus into every aspect of their lives. As a result of gospel ministry and focus, We want to see churches planted both in our area and to the ends of the earth. You see some of our other values there, biblical leadership, elders and deacons. We want to faithfully raise up both. So often in today's culture, it seems like churches have one or the other. And we wanted to biblically examine what both do within the church and make sure that our church was equipped with both of those uh, positions functioning properly unity and purity within our church, family emphasis where we're leading families, so emphasizing uh, investment in the men of our church who turn around and lead their families, and then ultimately all of us rallying around the idea of the second coming of Jesus, that that there's urgency in what we're doing because Jesus is coming back. And, And so wanting to constantly direct ourselves back to that hope, that in the midst of the life that we live, the struggles of sin, the fight against sin, Um, that that Jesus is coming back. And so we have that future hope, that future glory that we look to as a church family. And then on the backside, our vision, how that specifically looks within our church context. Why did we pick Sonoy? We picked Sonoy because we believed it was an area where it afforded people the opportunity to come and live in the surrounding areas, that there was job opportunities available where people could relocate here, uh, live in Peachtree City, Fayetteville, Griffin, Noonan, uh, find a place to settle in and not have to travel too far to be a part of a church family. Sonoy, uh, for whatever reason, is claimed by a lot of those cities. Sonoy feels like Noonan to a lot of people. Sonoy feels like Peachtree City to a lot of people. It feels like Fayetteville to a lot of people. It butts up to all of those counties. And so it affords us kind of a central hub where we can, uh, we can start a base operation and then expand it to these other areas. Our vision, a Great Commission vision of thinking big. We've always wanted to be a church planting movement that seeks to lead the lost to Christ. To build churches in the surrounding areas and to ultimately send our members around the globe to make disciples of all nations. So I wanted to begin this morning by just encouraging you that this isn't a a change of plans at all. This is now an emphasis of the plans that God placed on our heart four years ago that are just now able to really be carried out because God has established biblical leadership that can help carry those plans out, okay? So as we get into it this morning, I want to um kind of see how much you remember from last week. So in your notes there, you've got the five goals that we set as a church last week. I want you to, as best you can from memory, write down those goals. And if you weren't here, then you're obviously excused. It's an excused absence from this quiz. Um, but for those of you that were here, how much do you remember in, in the vision casting for Sovereign Hope? What's the first goal that we discussed last week? All right, we talked about wanting to grow to 150 people in the next five years, okay? The rest of the goals and and the reason for that 150 comes out in the other goals, but the initial goal that I shared with you last week is that we want to be a church of 150 people. What was the second goal that we discussed? That we want five elders and five deacons in place in the next five years. So currently right now we have... Three elders, technically we have three deacons, but with Chris serving as a deacon and leaving for Uganda within the year, we're kind of operating off the mindset that we have two deacons because Chris will be gone here very shortly. Um, So three elders, two deacons, needing three deacons and two elders within the next five years to accomplish these plans that we have in place. What's the third goal that we talked about? All right, technically that's number four, but we we talked about sending... um, We talked about sending people, maybe 75 of that 150, to plant another church in the surrounding area. So, growing to 150 and then immediately dropping back to 75 or so and commissioning half of our church to go start somewhere else. All right? What was one of the other goals? Two left. All right, having our own local ministry that we start. Okay, so identifying some type of. compassionate need that exists in our area, something that's not already being done, meaning there's not another church that's trying to do this, but identifying some type of need in our area that we can uh, create something that helps meet that need. We develop some type of ministry, some type of mission, using people in our church, using the gifts in our church to be uh, externally focused and not just internally focused. So a lot of our service opportunities are inwardly focused, wanting to really identify a way for us to get out of our church context and serve this community. Something that, that we start based on the Holy Spirit's leading in our life. And then the last goal that we discussed, planting a church overseas, sending six to eight church members to plant um, what we termed Soft Hope International last week. You know, planting a, a, a church overseas that is started by people within our church. So, so having a local focus where we're trying to multiply, but then also taking that multiplic- multiplication overseas as well and planting a church on the foreign field. Now let's look at these a little bit more in depth, and then today we're going to focus specifically on obstacles to these plans. Things that will hold us back from accomplishing what I believe God has for us moving forward. The 150 number um, has, has really been a number that we've talked about since the beginning. And you may not be aware of that, but that was a number that we kind of identified early on. We bought 150 of these chairs. Now, they're not all in here right now, but we have some in storage, but that was the number we looked at. As we looked for chairs on Craigslist, we wanted 150 because we anticipated that number when we first moved here. As we looked for a location, we we strived to find a place that would fit 150 people, and it can be done. As we began to move in here, we we, we looked at it and made sure that when the time became necessary, that we could fit 150. Now, it's not ideal, and it's not comfortable, which is why we move 75 of them out of here very quickly when we reach that number. But this facility will hold 150 people, which means technically we never have to leave this building. Um, the other reason for never wanting to get above 150, we talked a little bit last week, we recognize that there are a lot of big churches in this area that are doing things great, that people can be a part of. There aren't a lot of small churches that want to stay small but want to be very active in kingdom building. So you've got small churches that are doing things great but intend to become big churches. You've got a lot of small churches that are content to be small and aren't very active in, in growing through evangelistic efforts. Um... We wanted to kind of fit there as a small church that, that strives to remain small, but really is big in the impact that it's making. And so as we get to a point of 150, a lot of people would say, beyond 150, you're really starting to become more of a larger setting, um, and, it, and it kind of starts to take away from maybe the intimacy level. So never wanting to get above 150 but not wanting to become so content with being a small church that we're not actively trying to grow. And so planting other churches allows us to be faithful to the Great Commission, but also not sacrifice the intimacy of a small church setting. It also becomes a lot more difficult for uh, elders to shepherd when you have that many sheep. Um, Rarely do you have a church that can facilitate that many elders to oversee Uh, the big church numbers. And so you start to see things like church discipline and accountability kind of fall by the wayside because there's not enough infrastructure in place to really emphasize those things. And it's very hard to do those things when you have people that you don't know that need to experience church discipline potentially. And so the intimacy level there uh, with 150 is what we strive for. More elders and deacons. That's a natural need as the church increases. Um, we've We've been... um, brainstorming about the local ministry ever since we moved here. We, we've had discussions about working with funeral homes and, and trying to become a, a church that, that provides meals and services to people that are grieving that don't have a home church to do that for them. Uh, we, we've talked about the Anchor Down ministry and possibly having a ministry that helps move people in and, and gets them acclimated to this community. So we, we've talked about that some before. We've just never really gotten it going In a consistent way. And then, as we've already said, the local and global church planning, it's always been part of our goal. Um, And it also, I think, is necessary because there's people in our church, Lord willing, that as we grow and as kids grow up in our church, that are going to long to go to the mission field. Now, a lot of us come from Southern Baptist Church backgrounds where when you have a kid that wants to go to the mission field in your Southern Baptist church, You send them through the imb right like you've got the money already provided you can go overseas and it's a it's a great setup it's a great setup because it removes the financial obligation from somebody we don't have that luxury right now in our church we're not a southern baptist church which means we can't connect our kids to the imb right now and so planting overseas working with a missionary overseas to plant a church overseas gives us a natural outlet. Somebody comes up from our church and says, I feel like God wants me not in this context and wants me in a foreign context, that we've got an outlet for that. As the Holy Spirit's leading in their life, we've got a way to direct them uh, to see that fulfilled in their life. Um, We talked a little bit about how to accomplish this last week. I I challenge you with some questions. Um, I told you that, first of all, for this to ever happen, and, and I know that... It sounds daunting, the the, the goals that we've listed. I told you for it to happen that two things really have to happen in our church and in our individual lives. That the word has to become priority and people have to become our passion. That this doesn't happen unless the word becomes a priority in our life and people become our passion. Now, I want to remind you, too, from the book of Romans. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Romans 16. I told you last week, we didn't set these goals to make Sovereign Hope's name um, glorious in this community, right? Like, we're not interested in making a name for ourselves. We're not interested in Sov Hope's name becoming great in this area. I'm not all... I'm not... This is not being driven either by the the need for numbers in this church. And it's not being driven even by a desire to see people saved. There's there's an overwhelming desire that everything that we're talking about comes from. and, and, And Paul highlights it in Romans 16 and in Romans chapter 1. In Romans 16... Through Jesus Christ. He highlights salvation there. Salvation of the nations. He highlights sanctification. Bringing these people to the obedience of faith. But there's an underwhelming goal there that that he tacks on at the very end that's really the entire goal. It says to the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. He says it more clearly in Romans chapter 1 verses 1 through 6 if you want to turn back there. Now, now Paul's saying, I received grace, I've received apostleship, I've received all of my giftings, everything that God's accomplished in my life has been for the purpose of bringing about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. Paul doesn't say, I was saved so that other people can be saved. He says, I was saved so that other people can be saved for God's glory. He says it's all about God's name. It's all about his name's sake amongst all the nations. I was given grace. I was given giftedness. Not just so that people could be rescued from hell, but so that God's name could be made great. All of these goals that we're talking about, it's not about just checking off a list and accomplishing things. It's about God's name being made great. Us submitting ourselves, the grace that we've been been receiving as as christians the, the giftedness that we have as christians submitting those two things back to god using them so that there's obedience of faith from this area and to the ends of the earth for his name's sake and for that to be accomplished his word has to become a priority in our life and people have to become our passion. Ultimately, people become our passion because we're so driven for them to enjoy God. We're so driven for them to experience God because he receives glory from that. As people enjoy him, as people are saved from their sin and no longer enjoy their sin, but instead enjoy Christ, he is glorified. And that's what motivates us to accomplish what we're talking about. That's our motivation for why we want to see these things happen, not for us and not just for people to be saved but for God's name to be made great, for us to jump in on his global plan, his eternal plan, for us to jump in and be very active in helping bring that into being. I challenged you with five questions last week. Will you commit to growing personally so that you're part of the mature that can make this happen? Right. It's not just about having 150 people. We need mature people. Mature people that can go overseas and do this. Mature people that can relocate and start the church plant thing all over again. Will you commit to growing personally? We talk all the time about being in the Word, and I don't want you to misunderstand the emphasis there. The end goal is not just for you to have a consistent time in the Bible. That's what we keep emphasizing because it hasn't happened yet. The end goal isn't just for you to say, yes, I spend time in my Bible. The end goal is for you to enjoy Christ through the avenue of being in his word. My hope is that we get to the point in the accountability groups, it's not, hey, have you been reading your Bible? It's, I know you're reading your Bible, but is it serving the appropriate purpose in your life? Is it not just an academic thing that you're doing, but is it really leading you to trust the promises of Christ more? Are you enjoying Christ more through your time studying? But right now, we're very inconsistent in our time in the Word that the accountability has to focus more on, let's get you into the Word before we can really hold you accountable to being in it rightly. We enjoy Christ through His Word. Tyson and I were conversing this morning about the the story of Mary and Martha and how Martha was guilty of serving and Mary was, was enjoying Christ and being with Christ. If you read that passage, how is she experiencing Christ? How is she enjoying Christ? It says that Christ was teaching Christ was teaching her, and she was at the foot of Christ, hearing his teachings. That's our avenue for enjoying Christ. It's being in his word. It, it's, it's thriving off that relationship as we study and as we understand better who he is. It's not supposed to be an academic thing. Now, sometimes maybe the, the level of teaching that we have here feels more academic. It feels more seminary level. But I was confessing to Tyson this morning, I have to hold back tears at McDonald's as I study during the week over conviction of sin and over brokenness about what God's revealing to me. I have to withhold a desire to, to run around and celebrate as a form of worship because of what I'm learning and, and, and seeing through the Holy Spirit's leading in my life. That's the end goal. It's not just to have you in the Word, it's for you to enjoy Christ in the Word. For us to get to this point of seeing these goals accomplished for His namesake, sake. The Word has to become that type of priority in our life. People have to become our passion, where we're not just content to experience that ourselves, that you echo what I echo here all the time, that I want you to experience that. I want your relationship to Christ, with Christ, to be thriving in such a way that that's your experience with Him when you run to Him in His Word. Will you commit to growing personally? Will you commit to growing others discipling others. Will you commit to serving in the church now? We need faithful servers now if we're going to continue to grow because there's going to be more needs for service, more opportunities for people to jump in. We've got to be faithful with what we have right now. Will we commit to creating an environment here that people want to be a part of, people that visit our church? I told you I'd love for those 150 to all be new converts to Christ as we talked about Phoebe in Romans 16, she transfers to the church at Rome. We're going to have people that come to this church that are already Christians, that are already mature Christians, that can jump right in and start helping us serve faithfully and, and, and seek to accomplish these goals. But we want to be a welcoming environment that people want to jump in and be a part of. Um, and so that falls on us, being the type of people that can that can receive new people who come to visit our church. And then committing to plan and strategize our long-term plans to fit into these eternal plans. Some of you have decisions looming. Job decisions, living decisions. I was meeting with somebody this week that's, that's uh, uh, thinking about the possibility of joining our church, and she said part of the, the reason that I've been holding back is the idea. I don't know that I can commit long-term to sovereign hope. And I encouraged her. I said, look, we believe you need to be a part of a local church. Um, We recognize that God may move you. You may not be here long-term. But we we believe you need to be a part of a local church as long as you're here. So we never want people to feel like they have to sell their lives to this church to really be an effective member of this church. But we do need as many people as possible that say, you know what, I'm going to be here for the long haul. I'm gonna be here for the next five years to help see this come out. And then I'm gonna be here after those five years to keep it going. There's gonna be some of you that move, and that's okay. My only challenge to you would be: don't move for jobs and don't move for better living situations. Move for churches. And then find the jobs that you need with those churches. I had I had such a, an encouraging conversation, and I hate that Joe Vinson left because it was with his family. So Joe and Sarah, my cousins, I was over at their house, this was several years ago, and their oldest, Sarah—not sarah, Vin, uh, not sarah um, Mary Vincent was looking to go off to college. She was looking to go to dental school, and so we were talking about where you're going to go, and uh, one of the places that she was looking at going was UNC, and so we were talking about the program, and um, I, I asked her and her mom, I said, well, what's ultimately going to help you decide which school you're going to? And she said, well, we're, we're going to visit churches in the area. Like, we're not picking a school unless there's a solid church to be a part of. I was so challenged by that. I was like, wow, like so many people pick their college based on the program, the the school, everything that the school has to offer. And then once they get there, the hope is, now I'll find a church. But they flipped it. They said, we're going to go find the church first, and then we're going to pick the school. And so my encouragement, as you're looking at job situations, living situations, make sure that the church takes priority. Make sure the church is a, is an influential part of where you relocate. If it's not going to be here, make sure you find a, a a church that you can fit into, that you can jump right into, that has a lot of the same focus and attention that we have here. Um, all right, let's let's look at obstacles now, and this is where we'll spend the re- the remainder of our time. Obstacles to these plans. This is this is how this doesn't happen. This is how um, Satan and his forces keep. These things from happening. Remember, we highlighted in Romans sixteen that the, the the church was challenged by Paul to be on guard for false teachers, and I told you the reason they had to be on guard is because Paul talks about how effective they are being. And so, what we can expect is that the more active we become as a church the more effective we become at advancing the gospel and, and, and trying to build the kingdom, that there's going to, become, there's going to come attacks from outside. That, that Satan is going to want to divert what's going on here. We, we, we saw this in 1 Thessalonians. If you want to turn back to 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 17 and 18. 1 Thessalonians 2, 17 and 18. You'll remember Paul did not get to stay in Thessalonica as long as he wanted to. Remember, he was pushed away by persecution. There was, there was anger towards him and the gospel message, and so he and his companions had to flee, but the intent was to always come back and finish, to finish the discipleship, to, to help continue to establish that church. It says, But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, this is in verse 17, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face. Because we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. Paul had plans. Paul had plans that he wanted to accomplish. These were good plans. These were Holy Spirit-driven plans. And Satan was permitted by God, permitted by God to hinder those plans, to attack those plans. Paul has to pray through that, and we see in 1 Thessalonians 3.11, Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. You'll remember the word study we did, Satan hindering the plans. The original Greek implies or the context is tearing up the road. Uh, Like a a bulldozer would would grind up the concrete to where it's impassable. And then the context in chapter 3 is set it straight, fix it. Paul says, we've been hindered by Satan from accomplishing what we know has to be accomplished. He now prays and says, God, direct us to you. Get us there. Unhinder our plans. And so as we strive to accomplish these things, Satan will seek to hinder them. Which makes the, the, the prayer component that we talked about a little bit last week, we're going to talk about more today as we wrap up. It makes the prayer component that much more important that we're praying against. We're praying against the evil forces that would seek to stop and hinder these plans that expands God's kingdom and makes his name great. All right. Obstacles to the plan. Number one. Goal number one, increasing to 150. Increasing to 150. How do we get there and what's going to stop us from getting there? As I was thinking about the 150, and just thinking about, well, how does our church get there? How does our church grow to those numbers? I was driven back to the book of Acts, and and I went to the book of Acts because I wanted to see what it was that was causing those early churches to grow. And and obviously the Holy Spirit was was moving mightily, um, and that's something that we can't control. So the the Holy Spirit and and God's plans, those are factors that we can't control. The Holy Spirit's going to do what He wants to do through our church, So I wanted to look at the human component. What were the the apostles and the original church planters doing? How were they cultivating an environment that the Holy Spirit used to grow the church? So what was the human component there? In Acts chapter 4, verses 1 through 22, we're going to read through this, and I want you to, to put yourself in this setting. So so it's narrative, so let's put ourselves in this setting, and let's identify the human component. What is causing the church to grow here? And as they were speaking to the people, the priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed, because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead, and they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day. For it was already evening, but many of those who had heard the word believed. And the number of them came to about 5,000. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? This was in regards to a healing that Peter had done. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, If we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the son that was rejected by you, the builders which has become the cornerstone, and there is salvation in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them as evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it, may be, that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more... Than forty years old. I go down to Rome, or Acts chapter five. Verse twelve. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of us, none of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem, and more than ever believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now when the high priest came and those who were with them, they called together the council, all the senate of the people of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison, so they returned and reported. We found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. Someone came and told them, Look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of, people, of being stoned by the people. When they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charge you not to teach in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. Now, if you skip down to... Uh, verse 40, they argue about whether to kill them or not kill them. They decide not to because they're afraid to uh, only encourage this movement. Verse 40, when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Now, you hear, you hear a lot of pastors that will emphasize in the book of Acts that the church was growing for a lot of different reasons. Uh, one of the overwhelming things that gets talked about, it seems like a lot right now in books and, and sermons, is the idea of the unity of that first church, those first churches. They were uh, of, a, of a common goal, and, and their things were being shared, and, and you see a lot of unity there. And it talks about how they were adding to the church regularly in response to this. You also see a lot of miracles happen, happening, right? you see a lot of wonders and signs and even in the beginning of this passage it says that these things were being done the sick were being brought to the apostles healing was happening churches were growing because of it but it's it's interesting to me when the people that are trying to stop this the factor that they identify as the thing that has to be stopped if this movement's going to be stopped What is it they prohibit from happening? It's the teaching of Jesus, right? You don't see them saying, hey, quit sharing your stuff, quit meeting as a church, quit being unified, quit loving each other. They don't say quit working signs and miracles. They say quit talking about Jesus. So as much as we try to encourage an environment here uh, of love and unity and fellowship, as much as we talk about serving our community, the only thing that's going to ultimately grow our church the way that we see in the book of Acts is if we get serious about teaching people about Jesus. That has to change if we're going to, to see people come to Christ. Because our love's going to fail them, our fellowship's going to fail them. They're going to get into this church, and if they're drawn to this church because of how cool it seems from the outside about how we love each other and, and share things with each other and take care of each other, they're eventually going to get in here and realize we're sinful people that don't always love each other, that don't always share our stuff with each other. They have to come because of Jesus. And that's what was growing the church ultimately in the book of Acts. And it's what they identified as the main factor that had to be stopped. That has to change within our church. We have to get serious about teaching people about Jesus. Not in the context of Sunday morning. That's happening. It's throughout the week, in your context, in the jobs, and the schools... And the friends and the family that you interact with. People have to be exposed to Jesus through our church if they're going to be brought to the obedience of faith. 150 people. Sounds like a lot. but I think in Tyson's group, Sarah brought up a point. I looked at our membership roles today. We sit right at 50 people. When everybody's here and we don't have any visitors, it's about 50 people. If you do the math, that means if everybody in our church leads two people to Christ in the next five years, then we're at 150 people. So if if your responsibility becomes, "I I need to share Christ with people. I need to see two people come to Christ. Then it becomes a lot more manageable, I think. I would even like to say, let's go one step further. Let's just have you win one person to Christ, disciple them to where they turn around and lead one person to Christ. We still get to 150 people, but now we've got more than just 50 that are committed to evangelizing and seeing people saved, right? We have 100 people. We have 100 people that, that have been won to Christ that are seeking to see more and more people saved. 150 sounds like a lot, but it's, it's doable. It's manageable. But even in trying to manage it and and compartmentalize it, it doesn't happen without the Holy Spirit. It doesn't happen without us praying for this and relying on God to do this. But I want you to not feel like we're, we're putting something out there that's so unattainable. Because if we bring it back, I would hope that most of us would say, I should be able to lead two people to Christ in five years. Based on how active I want to be with sharing the gospel. But we have to be serious about teaching Jesus. We have to be serious about communicating Jesus for people to respond to Jesus. Secondly, raising up the five and five, five elders and five deacons. Why is this important? Why, why does this need to be something that we're striving for? It's something that Paul strived for in Titus 1.3. Titus five sorry. Paul's talking to Titus. He says, This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. Elders and deacons are the, the pace setters for the church. They're the pace setters. They're, the, they're the examples that people are supposed to be following as they seek to follow Christ. They're the human examples of what it looks like to live for Jesus in that context. And we need those people. We need five elders. We need five deacons because we need to be able to send them to our church plants so they don't all stay here. We need those people. We need that reserve to be able to send overseas, to be able to send to Noonan, Peachtree City, wherever we end up planting another church. What's going to hold us back from this? Now, this one, obviously, numbers-wise, sounds a lot more doable, right? Like we only need two more elders three more deacons, if we get lucky, somebody joins our church that's already qualified, this could really happen within five years. But I think we have to be on guard because I think there's, there's obstacles and hindrances that Satan would want to place before us. Two things. One, sin and temptation that would ruin the mature and stunt the young. Sin and temptation that would ruin the mature and stunt the young. First Corinthians nine twenty-seven. But I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others I myself should be disqualified. You know how this this, this gets hindered from happening? is if, as leadership, we let our guard down and somebody falls morally in this church. That's a hindrance that Satan would love to undercut. All of these plans for God's name to be made great, to ruin the name of sovereign hope by having somebody in leadership fall. In addition, Satan would love to hinder people from being raised up to be deacons and elders in this church because they can't get out of sin that it stunts their growth, prevents them from becoming the qualified men that are described in 1 Timothy 3 because sin continues to hold them back. That's an obstacle that Satan would love to place in front of us to keep us from accomplishing these type of goals. To ruin the mature, to devastate us with moral failure, and to stunt those that are qualified to grow up in our church and be these type of men but sin holds them back. This is where the prayer component comes in. As church members, we desperately need you bathing our leadership in prayer constantly. We meet as male leadership as accountability because it's so necessary for us as leadership to be protected from sin. But our accountability group's not enough. We need our church family praying that God would protect us and guard us from the attacks of Satan. We need our church family praying that God would allow victory over sin to happen in our church so that men and women can be raised up to serve within our church. There's also another factor a lack of biblical application. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11. If we need people to be raised up in our church that can teach as elders, the best way for Satan to prohibit that from happening is to keep the men in our church on milk and not meat. It's to keep them inconsistent in their time in the Word, to keep them unfaithful in their areas of service, to where they they linger in a state of immaturity and never grow up in their faith. They can't be counted upon to teach this church because they're not qualified to teach. That's an obstacle that we have to overcome. Sin, temptation, and a lack of growing up in the faith. We've provided an environment where you can grow, but responsibility still falls on you as an individual to grow, to submit yourself to what the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life. Some changes that I think have to happen for this to, to be a result in our church, the five and five. We need people with or or two things that are hindering us right now, sorry people with misplaced priorities and people mired in sin. We need people to become active in service and obedience i'm- af- I'm afraid what we we're, we're we're guilty of is that we've got we've got character people people that that would meet biblical qualifications but aren't fully invested in our church from a time standpoint, Like They've got other things going on in their life that prohibit them from really being all in with our church. Then we've got other people that are are here all the time, but they're mired in sin. And so it prevents them from being qualified to really serve in our church. Jesus challenges us in the area of priorities in Luke chapter 14, if you want to turn there real quick. Luke chapter 14, verse 25. Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. So therefore, any one of you who does does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. First John highlights how we prioritize Jesus, right? So Jesus is saying, You have to you have to love me more than everything else in your life. The the word hates used there, but really the context is, is you have to love everything else less than you love me. And then 1 John gives us insight into how we love Jesus. We love Jesus through loving the church and through loving the brothers and sisters in Christ. And so the church has to be our priority if Jesus is going to be our priority because that's how we make Jesus our priority. We invest in the church. We love his body. We pour everything that we have into it. Everything else becomes secondary and our life is built around our church. That's why, that's why I brought up the whole, the whole job and living situation. If the church is your priority, then that's the number one thing that drives where you are. And then the other things are secondary. You make the other things work in the context of where you've aligned yourself with Christ's body. We need people of character that have right priorities. People that have character that are invested in this church. That can pour everything they have into this church. That make this church... Not this church in general, but God's name being great, and in order to get there through the avenue of this church, being willing to invest in it. Number three, starting the ministry. So we talked about this this ministry that we want to start, this, this area that serves our community. Why is that important? Why is that something that we should strive for? In Matthew 25, 31, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him he will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them. Truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Luke fourteen thirteen through 14. If you just want to jot these down, I'm going to read them real quick. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. James one twenty seven. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, to keep oneself unstained from the world. Hebrews thirteen. 1 through 3, let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison, as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. I believe our church has to develop a mentality where we're focused on the less fortunate, where we're focused on the mistreated, we're focused on the oppressed, Now, I confess to you, I don't have anything in reserve that I'm going to dump on you about what this ministry is and what it looks like. I've thrown out ideas before, but I honestly do not have time to create this, run this, and do this. And I don't believe as an elder it is my job or responsibility to. Now, I will do everything that I can to equip people in our church to do this type of thing. But it necessitates, and I shared with you last week, it necessitates somebody stepping up and saying, I may not know how to do this, but I'm committed to figuring out how to do it. I told you last week, I don't have a clue how to be a principal, but they asked me to be the principal, and I said, I'll figure out how to do it. God called me to church plant, and I said, I don't know how to do that, but I'll figure out how to do it. It's just a mentality that you have to develop that says, I don't know how to do it, but I'll figure out how to do it. For us to have this type of ministry where we're seeking to reach uh, those that need our compassion, that need our love, it's going to require somebody stepping up and saying, I'll get it done, identifying something in this area that we can jump into. And I think it, it gives us the proving grounds that we need to know that we can do this overseas as well. We identify something that's not being done here, and we make it happen because when we get overseas, there's probably not going to be anything being done where we are, and we're going to have to make a lot of things happen. Number four, South Hope 2.0. That's our church in this area. Why? Why do that? Why not just continue to build a bigger church? We talked about a lot of people looking for the small church environment, but. The more we multiply churches, the more service opportunities it creates, right? Like you come to a big church that, that everybody's already kind of doing what needs to be done, and you just end up being a, a seat filler. By moving people, it creates more service opportunities that people in our church that are gifted can jump into and not just sit back and say, well, it's already being done. It necessitates more elders. It necessitates more deacons. It necessitates more nursery workers. It necessitates more people using their gifts within the church. It also allows us to better care for each other. It allows for better community, I believe. Obstacles and changes. It it, it will be hard because of how much we love each other to know that some people won't meet with us again on Sunday mornings to know that we won't see them at small groups. It'll be hard because selfishly we're going to say, I don't want you to go be a part of that church. I want you to stay a part of our church. But We've got to think big picture. We've got to think big about making God's name great. We'll spend spend eternity with each other. And my hope is that we draw as many people as possible to be in that type of fellowship with us long term. What has to change to get us there this kind of ties in with um, the Soft Hope International. So we're almost done. We're not going to spend much time on these two. For this to really happen, we're going have to have, the, we're gonna have to have God raise up an elder or bring an elder to our church that can serve as a lead pastor. Right. We're not talking about planting a separate campus where all of a sudden I become an itinerant preacher where I'm traveling to all these campuses to preach. I've said from the beginning, I'm not doing it, and I'm not preaching two sermons on a Sunday. I physically cannot do it. I know some churches go to two two services. Thankfully, we've set it up where we'll never have to do it because when we maxed out this room, we're not going to two services, we're going to two churches and I'm not traveling to preach because I believe God wants to raise up somebody that's gifted to do it so that I don't have to do it in two locations. We need to be as a church family praying that God would not only raise up elders, but that he would raise up an individual who feels called to, to lead pastor, and there's a difference. Now, God may change the hearts of Tyson and Adam, but in all of our communication, and you guys can correct me if you're wrong, if I'm wrong, they don't feel compelled to lead a church as the pastor. There's two different types of elders. There's the one that's the co-elder that's there that helps shepherd the flock, and then there's the one that kind of oversees and leads the church. For us to plant another church, we need another lead pastor, And God may change the hearts of our current elders, but he may not. And if he doesn't, then we need not just elders like Tyson and Adam, but we need specific types of elders that feel called to lead a church and not just serve as an elder in a church, which also carries over to number five, South Hope International. We need somebody to go over there and be the lead pastor of that church plant. What type of people were sent out overseas? In Acts 11, Paul and Barnabas are actively sharing the gospel and are actively serving out of their church. Acts eleven nineteen. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. You skip down to... Um, Verse 22, the report of all these salvations came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. They sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. He exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. Get down to 25. So Barnabas went to Tarshish to look for Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. You know what Barnabas and Paul were doing before verse um, chapter 13, verses 1 through 3? Skip over to chapter 13. One, now there was in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, a bunch of names there, verse 2, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. After fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and they sent them off. These two guys get sent out as missionaries from this church. And the reason they're chosen, the reason the Holy Spirit has these two men called out is because they were already doing it. They were already doing it in their church. They were already striving to make disciples in their church. I want to be real clear, as we, as we visionize and, and game plan and desire and pray to plant a church overseas, we're not just sending the first six to eight that sign up for this. It's the best of the best that need to go overseas to do this. Because if you think church planting's hard here, it's going to be all the more hard over there. The best of the best is who Christ uh, called, who the Holy Spirit moved in their hearts and moved in the church to send out. What obstacles do we face in doing this? Beyond just people being raised up, there's going to be a fear of life change because for this to realistically happen, we're talking about six to eight people that are going and aren't coming back anytime soon. That means a change in job perspective, a change in life perspective. The other big obstacle is going to be finances. How do we get six to eight people overseas? How do we fund that? How do we set them up to where they can succeed over there and not have to worry about finances for us to get there we have to have an elder who desires to be a lead pastor we have to have active people within our church who are serving faithfully but not tied down to staying here barnabas and saul were ready to go when they were called upon we also have to identify a place to go That's something that has to to come about in the next five years. Most people don't just sign up and say, I'll go without having a little bit of information, a little bit of detail. We need finances to send people, and this is where everybody participates. We need people working hard and giving much to send these people. Last verse we'll read, Ephesians 4.28. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. You may sit there and say, it's not me that's going to be in the six to eight. It's just not. We need you to work your tail off in your job, and we need you to get promotion after promotion after promotion to where you are making money, to where you can take care of yourself, and you have enough left over to take care of these people that are going to be over there. We need you to work your tails off, not so you can have bigger houses and more toys and more clothes and and be able to to live exuberant lives. We need you to work hard so that we can support these people, so that you have enough to share. That's five years where we have time to figure that out. This kind of ties in, and this is this is how I want to close. This kind of ties in with what we were talking about in our small groups on Wednesday. You know, I, I challenge you. We need to we need to be doing more outside of supporting Snowbird people, and supporting Chris. Like, I want people that visit our church, that come to our church, that they can see that we're really committed to missions. We've got a couple people we support here in the States. We've got Chris, but Chris is coming home at some point. Like, Chris's plan has been communicated. He wants to get this thing started, and then he wants to come home. And so what what does our long-term focus look like from a foreign perspective? Where do we invest our money? I know you guys had a lot of conversations in in C groups. Tyson, Adam, and I meet this Wednesday. We're going to talk about that and and start to develop a vision for this um, long-term as a church. But I loved what Cortland talked about in our group. We we were kind of wrestling with it, and we we, we kept throwing out good ideas, but it was just kind of like, yeah, it's good, but is that really where we want to put our money? Is that really, if we've only got a little bit, is that the best use of our money, basically? And we, we all decided that, And we could come up with a ton of missionaries and all of them are good and all of them are worth sending our money to, but how do we narrow it down? And Cortland brought brought me, brought our group back to this idea that we're supposed to send six to eight people and how are they gonna survive financially? And so one of the things that our group started talking about is the possibility of us for the next five years, instead of sending money to somebody, is that we let you know we're real serious about this, so serious that we're gonna put it in an account so that when it's time for you to go, the money's there. And there's no financial hindrance to keep you from going. I know Ben and I have talked about the amount of money that we save. We try to be real frugal around here. We don't try to overspend. We we budget money for operations, but we try not to use all of our budgeted money. By my estimation, I think last year we ended up with maybe $5,000 that we saved at the end of the year. That it was like, okay, where do we roll this money to? The way the finances work, it's got to go somewhere. If we save $5,000 for the next five years every year, there's an account with at least $25,000 in it that depending on where we choose to go and how we choose to go and what we choose to do once we're there could be a significant contribution to making that possible. I'm throwing things out there to you today because I want you praying about them. I want you praying about them. Because this is where I want us to go. I believe this is where the Holy Spirit wanted those of us that initially desired to plant this church to go. Because it was already on paper, right? Like this isn't new stuff. This is stuff that we've always been talking about. It's just time now to flesh it out and make sure that we have a timetable and not just kind of leave it out there as we would love one day to plant a church overseas if, if that ever happens. No, it's we really want to plant a church overseas, and we want to do it in the next five years. We're going to get real urgent about doing it. I told you we weren't going to read any more, but we're going to read one more verse. And this is how we're going to pray. Because I want you to pray as we leave today. Romans 15, 30. Taking our cue from Paul. Paul lays out all these desires and plans for the church at Rome. I want to do this. I want to do this. I want to come to you. I want you to give me money so I can go to Spain. People that have never heard Jesus, hears about Jesus. This is my plan. This is my big picture plan, my vision, my future. This is what I want to happen. Verse 30. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. Paul says, here's what I want to do. Here's what I'd like to see accomplished through my life. It doesn't happen if you don't participate in prayer with me for it. We have to ask God for it. We have to ask God for it. And, and, and I think, this, I think we're, this is such an appropriate way to wrap up what we've talked about in Romans. Paul lays out plans. This is what I want to do. This is what I want to accomplish in my church planting. We're striving to do the same thing. Both would not have happened, will not happen, if it's not bathed in prayer. We're not fully reliant on him accomplishing it through us. So I want us to bow our heads and and close our eyes, and, and this isn't an invitation time But I want to give you an opportunity to to pray, and I want to walk through these five points. So I want to give you some time to pray, and then I want to pray over us about these goals. Bringing it all back to what Paul says in Romans 1, that we're striving for these things. We're striving for the salvation of people that leads to 150, that leads to more elders and deacons, that leads to more church plants. We're striving for these things, so that God's name is made great. I want you to pray for the the growth of our church. That as a church family, we would be serious about teaching Jesus so that our church grows so that the kingdom of God expands. God, we pray that you would use our church to lead people to the grace of salvation. God, we pray for that because we want your name to be great. We know that you're glorified as people turn from their sin and are rescued from darkness. And God, we want to be a part of that plan. Be a part of your purposes. And God, I pray that you would give us boldness as a church to teach Jesus. To be diligent to teach Jesus to those that we are coming in contact with, to expose them to their savior. I want you to pray for our current leadership and for God to raise up further leadership that would allow us to accomplish these things. And God would raise up men who would function as elders, specifically lead pastor elders. God would raise up men and women to serve as deacons within our church as well. Lord, protect our current leadership from sin and temptation. Father, I pray that we would not disqualify ourselves, that we would keep our bodies in subjection to you. God, I pray that you would not allow the men of our church to be stunted in their growth because they're mired in sin. Father, I pray that they would yield to righteousness so that the Holy Spirit can grow them up in their faith so that they can be useful to you now as an instrument of righteousness. God, I pray that you would Bring saved, mature men to our church that could function in these capacities as well. Father, I pray that you would raise them up from within our church. God, I pray that you would call men to the role of lead pastor that can assume the responsibilities of of leading these churches that we desire to plant. I want you to pray for uh, our ministry starting up that we would identify an area of compassion to reach this area with our gifts and, and talents and abilities. God, I pray that you'd give us a, a a passion for this area. pray that you would give us a desire to reach the less fortunate. God, help us to figure out the best way for us to use what you've given to us to not just reach felt needs, but to to use that ministry as a way to expose them to Jesus Christ. God, I pray that you'd raise up individuals in our church that would assume the responsibility of getting something started like this, that would be creative enough to look around and identify things that aren't being done by other churches that we could then get other churches to partner with us in as we partner with them in their endeavors. God, I pray that you would identify an area to us that we can be used by you. And lastly, I want you to pray for the prospect of planting two churches, a church here and a church overseas, that God would oversee that entire process, that he would call out the people that he desires to be a part of it, that he would provide the, the finances that will be needed to accomplish that as well. God, I do pray that you would raise up people from within our church that we can send overseas to expand your kingdom in an area that Christ has not been named yet. Father, I pray that you'd provide the finances. I pray that you would give clarity to the elders in identifying the the best place possible to accomplish this for our church. God, I pray that it's a vision that we can all catch together as members of Sovereign Hope. God, I pray that you would uh, release our ties to this area for those that need to be willing to go. God, I pray that you would change plans that we've already been making, alter those plans if necessary for the people that you desire to go. Pray that you would accomplish not just these but all of the the goals that we've discussed. Father, I pray that we would embrace the fact that this isn't a human vision. This is your vision. This is what you've placed within your scripture. That this is founded in in your word. Father, I pray that we would rely on you and constantly be seeking after you to accomplish all of these things.